0: What is that secondary voice in there saying? Is it saying, well, yeah, you got to do this. Like you do this every day. You need to get Mm. to the gym. Like, I don't care if you're tired, like get up and go. That's what Mm. we do. Or can we try to inject a small amount of compassion, that compassionate caregiver voice that might say, you're really tired today. Yeah, you got up early and your body's just feeling like it needs rest. And even if you go to the gym, like that voice is so crucial, right? That you're starting to introduce a softer, kinder, gentler, more understanding part of yourself mm. to maybe the disordered eating voice. And if you didn't get that, could be good to talk to somebody about it and see if you can get it externally first, like with a therapist, because like, mm. you you need that. That's 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 a lifeline to feeling valuable, good enough, inherently an important person in the world without mm. doing anything, just being.
1: Welcome to Gay Men's Life Lab, the podcast that's all about personal and relationship growth for gay, bi, and queer men. I'm Buck Dodson, a licensed psychotherapist and board-certified life coach. Each episode, we explore what it takes to have more of what you want in life, including self-love, healthy relationships, engaging work, and all the joy and pleasure you desire. So thanks for tuning in, and let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Gaiman's Life Lab. Buck here. As always, I'm so excited to be with my guests. And with my guests today, it's it's for some very specific reasons, the least of which is that they're here to talk about one of my uh, a topic that's near and dear to my heart, which is eating disorders, but through an attachment lens, which is really cool. So I am here with Vanessa Skaringi and Catherine Garland. So Vanessa and Kate, welcome to Gaiman's Life Lab. Hello. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. So let me tell the listeners a little bit about who you all are, and then we're going to dive in. So Catherine Garland is a licensed, and I'm going to call her Kate, just so you all know. She's a licensed clinical social worker and supervisor in Texas, Massachusetts, and New York. Catherine spent her early career and completed postgraduate training in psychoanalytic psychotherapy in New York City. And she incorporates relational and intuitive methods into her work with clients and has specialized in eating disorders over the last decade. Her experience includes working with LGBTQIA plus teens in the NYC foster care system. Interesting. Community mental health clinics, as well as being a primary therapist and IOP program coordinator at an eating disorder treatment center. Catherine is currently a field instructor for Boston University School of Social Work and co-owns the group practice Calm Counseling here in Austin, Texas, along with Vanessa Scaringi, who is a licensed psychologist who works with adolescents, young adults, and adult populations. Vanessa has dedicated much of her career to working in the eating disorder field, and she is a relational psychologist who strives to understand the context of one's eating disorder. By facilitating insight, Vanessa works with her clients to identify patterns and behaviors that interfere with living the life they want to live. Vanessa also strives to create a sense of hope in her clients, as she has found this is an important part of the change process. Indeed. So you can learn more about Kate and Vanessa on the Calm Counseling website, which is their practice, and that is at keepcalmatx.com. Is that right?
0: Yep. You got it.
1: And then they are on social. I think they're on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube. So you can find them. Instagram is calm counseling at calm counseling pllc. And of course, all of that will be in the show notes. So once again, Vanessa and Kate, welcome.
2: Thanks. Thanks. Excited to be here.
1: Just so everyone knows, I know you both because you are here in Austin and you know, we all are colleagues and you know, because you all are women. It's always a special experience, uh, here on Gayman's Life Lab to speak with women. And, and so something that you all don't know probably that one of our earliest episodes was a gays and gals happy hour. And (laughs) it was me and through like two of my, no, three, three of my closest female friends along with, you know, one of my closest gay male friends. And we talked about the relationship between. Gay men, and in particular, straight women, and that that is historically a pretty special and kind of formative relationship for mm-hmm. a lot of men. And so, just from the outset, I wanted to kind of mention that that there's oftentimes this connection that mm-hmm. that we have. So, yeah,
0: we want to come to whenever there's a part two, yeah, of that, please. Yeah. <laughs> we definitely want to come. That sounds it's really fun.
1: We need to have a part two, actually. So you, that's a, that's a good idea. So in any event, let's dive in. And for folks who are listening who may not be, you know, there's a lot of talk about eating disorders and we hear that a lot, but really kind of like what, what is an eating disorder? Can we just start with, with that?
2: Yeah, the basics. Sure. Mm-hmm. I can kind of do a little spiel. So the main eating disorders are anorexia, nervosa, bulimia nervosa, binge eating disorder. There used to be a classification called EDNOS, eating disorder not otherwise specified, but things have shifted. And really, binge eating is probably the most common eating disorder. And I think in terms of listeners, you know, subclinical eating disorders are actually something that we should probably focus more on because eating disorders are quite rare. And in the grand scheme of things, most folks struggle with issues like disordered eating, or over exercising, so misuse of food or exercise and not necessarily a clinical, like they need to go check into treatment kind of eating disorder or disordered eating. Which can be that kind
0: of disordered eating is so culturally normative yeah. that it sometimes doesn't get identified as problematic.
1: Yeah, that's. I'm so glad you all are bringing up that point because I was wondering if disordered eating or just misuse of food or yeah. or even what kind of what the role Vanessa you mentioned excessive exercise or mm-hmm. know, if we can be including those in this conversation because I know yeah. I know I have a lot of I don't work specifically with eating disorders anymore even though I mm-hmm. I used to at the beginning of my career but I have a lot of clients who talk about food who talk about their relationship with exercise, certainly their relationship with their body, but doesn't classify as an eating disorder. So right. so Vanessa, when you say subclinical, that's yeah. kind of what you mean. Okay. So for yeah. everyone listening, if you don't think, oh, I don't have an eating disorder, but kind of just maybe be reflecting as you're listening on sort of what is your relationship to food and eating and exercise. So, well, and what might be an indication that, say, even if it's a subclinical, to use that clinical term, Issue with food, like when might someone need to consider getting help?
0: I think, really, as Vanessa is saying, that's the majority of our practice between the two of us, between Vanessa and I, is probably working with clients who are either in recovery or struggling with disordered eating, body image issues, and those are they start to come up as problematic when you're recognizing there's something that needs to be filled, right? That there mm-hmm. there may be some underlying. What we kind of through our lens look at as a, a chronic loneliness or disconnection that starts to kind of become identified as maybe I'm missing something or I'm spending all this time doing X, Y, Z, thinking about what I'm eating, thinking about my body. Um, and it's it's difficult to stay connected with people because maybe it's interrupting my ability to do things spontaneously or to, for some of the young people that I see, like I'm spending four hours or, you know, some crazy amount of time in the gym every day, every week, whatever it is, and I'm falling behind in my schoolwork or my social life or those types of things. Or maybe it's something that's even more latent than that, that it's just, I, I'm, I'm sort of, things feel kind of meaningless or mm-hmm. there's an emptiness. And those are ways in which an eating disorder or disordered eating kind of, can help us to emotionally regulate when we are feeling in need of something.
1: Mm, yeah. That well, and yeah, just as you're mentioning, like the, the loneliness or the sense of meaninglessness or disconnection. First of all, we can all relate to that obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, But then I'm, I'm thinking of so many people where that's a struggle and how food is. So, I mean, it's always there, you mm-hmm. know? And I, I think Kate, you had yeah. mentioned like, there's kind of a, I think you mentioned a social, Of acceptability or kind of almost encouragement of, of food as this comfort and a thing that we go to.
2: Comfort food. Uh, I mean, avoidance of food.
1: food. Yeah. Mm.
0: (laughs) But just that those things we can use food in these different ways and compulsive behaviors like exercise to kind of numb out a feeling. Maybe that's through binge eating and I'm kind of stuffing down feelings or I'm like getting some sense, some mimicking of emotional nurturance or avoiding food is this kind of ability to numb out a need. Like I don't, mm. it feels good. It feels powerful to not need anyone or anything mm. to help you be, you know, to, to just live, to be in the world. Like that's a, a desire sometimes is to not have that need for connection.
1: Wow, yeah, and that's that's why I'm so excited to be talking with you all today about this. Um uh, so because I I don't know how many people who are listening who maybe aren't familiar with eating disorders or disordered eating, even or ex- exercise, are thinking about the relationship between like emotional needs and our personal needs and food and exercise. You mm-hmm. know, so so super helpful to be getting this this context. Now, because um Gaiman's Life Lab is you know, a a podcast that's about gay and queer men's experiences, even though lots of non-gay and non-queer men do listen to the podcast, you know, how would you say like eating disorders show up differently in men? Because there are some differences, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, there's this term bigorexia that gets thrown around. So I think the Mm. type of context for which the the food is manipulated or the exercise is manipulated might look different and some of that is you know society women women shrink men you know get mm-hmm. big and take up space mm-hmm. so i think there's historically that idea that it's bigorexia but i think it's also i mean again binge eating is like the most common eating disorder across all genders because i think it's you can only go so long with restricting and there's like the, the cycle of restriction binge that's so typical. Shame is absolutely a part of that cycle as well. And so mm-hmm. I think men, I mean, gosh, experience shame and have nowhere to put it and end up, you know, engaging in for sure the same kinds of behaviors as women with, with food and binging. But I think there's also this societal expectation that they're, they're big and strong. And so the idea of, you know, going to the gym and over-exercising or spending hours and hours Mm. on hours trying to get big to fill some kind of void is is pretty typical in terms of men with eating disorders
1: i i as you're talking vanessa i'm thinking of people in my life who Mm. are i mean dear dear friends of mine people who are very close to me who are you know probably in the body dysmorphia, muscle dysmorphia category, like can't get big enough. And if they, you know, if their muscles get smaller, if they lose five pounds or something Mm -hmm. of muscle, it's like really affects their, their sense of self. So it's just so interesting to think about, think about that. When we think about men, I don't know any statistics currently or research, and I'm not sure you all do either about like, like gay identified males Mm -hmm. when it comes to eating disorders. Are there statistics that, there's it's more prevalent in lgbtq spaces is. Or- it, it, yeah.
0: yes in lgbtq spaces and vanessa's gonna kill me if i go on my ted talk about <laughs> conformity but I, I will just briefly say i think any marginalized group any group of people who are early on in society being told that there's a wrongness to their being that is going to okay I'll say one thing about sociology. There was a, there's a sociologist analyst who's long gone, but Eric Fromm, who I refer to a lot. And he talked about, he came, he left Nazi Germany was a German born Jewish man who immigrated to the States. And part of what his social view was is that people, the, the biggest fear that we have as humans is alienation Mm. and being pushed aside. And that, People will do many things to avoid the pain of that. And one of the things that they will do, what he talked about is a sense of sameness, looking for sameness to kind of find in lieu of what he also called kind of a oneness, like with others or kind of a love of self or a sense of community that people will, they'll go to sameness if they can't access that sense of oneness with their community So I think when you're talking about gay men or queer people, the people who have historically been attacked for who they are, their identity or their self, I do think they're more vulnerable to seek out sameness in other ways. And that's not to say that there aren't hugely supportive communities, gay communities and, you know, allies. But when you have that kind of wound, that early wound, I do think it makes you susceptible to those kind of societal pressures of this is a way to conform and get a positive feedback from the world, whether that's thinness or muscularity or, or hiding away, you know, and like trying to nurse those wounds outside of the societal gaze. That's definitely something that, that men and gay men in particular would, would definitely be more prone to. And there are statistics around that. Yeah.
1: But that that's really interesting, the whole sameness in lieu of this oneness and connection that sort of opting instead for for conformity or sameness, or let me just kind of see if I can't like
0: Well if you can't have it, right? Which I think we all want, right? Like mm-hmm. we all want to feel inherently good and enough. Well and the why there are social constraints,
2: because mm-hmm. then when you achieve the conform, you know, the 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 look of conformity or, or what have you, then you sort of achieve, you know, and I'm putting that in air quotes, the connection. Mm-hmm. There's like a sense of I did it and it sort of feels good in the moment, but it's empty. There's an emptiness to it. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And I see that a lot. And I've yeah. heard that a lot, like in my practice, certainly mm-hmm. over the years, you know, working with gay and queer men since 2003 in that Mm -hmm. that idea of like oh but i i i did this but i I do i achieved like the body and i'm able to look a certain way and i am in this Mm -hmm. one community but i'm still feeling desperately alone and lonely and depressed and maybe even more so Mm -hmm. which of course we know then if if there's not something else to replace Mm -hmm. that which you all are going to be helping us understand more of that then yeah i'm just going to go even further into well at least what i know is exercise or at least what i know yeah, is double food, down yeah double down mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. yeah um mm-hmm. and we know you know men are men are really good speaking as a male i know we're really good at doubling down on things yeah. that like aren't healthy <laughs> so <laughs> i'll
2: find and, it and, and moving
1: <laughs> exactly uh-huh. and moving away from like oh i had a need I, I, I'm I'm feeling a need for someone like, Ooh, that's, that's bad.
2: Yeah. And slowing down and trying to understand the, the motive for all the, like what, what's trying to be in touch with what's actually empty and what am I trying to fill Mm. that Mm. requires so much. It's so much easier to look the other way and just keep doubling down and conforming. And, you know, as you Mm -hmm. age that conformity, I mean, there's so many ways to do it. It just keeps (laughs) presenting itself.
1: Yes. And also kind of becomes more challenging too, Mm -hmm. in a way, you know, like I know I've personally found that just over the last few years as someone, and I'll call myself out, who has had certainly a history of excessive exercise and and body image issues of like realizing, oh, it's like not working anymore. Like I can only conform so much. Physically in Uh certain environments, certain gay environments in particular. So, so, well, let's kind of on this topic more of of conformity and sameness and trying to fill a need, or as you all said, also maybe trying to get rid of a need that kind of obviously speaks to what, how you all understand treating eating disorders. And so you all talk about attachment and using this relational therapy Mm -hmm. approach. And for listeners who may not be familiar with either of those things, can you give us a working example of what, like really what attachment means? What does that mean when you, y'all say that?
2: Yeah. So the idea of attachment, I think in its, in its simplest form is like attachment to your early childhood figures and, and how that felt and what they gave you or didn't give you. And do you, you know, it's very, it's like a buzzword now. Are you securely attached or are you avoidant mm-hmm. or disorganized? And so all that really means, Kate talks about the, you know, attachment of secure, secure attachment is like the gold standard and everything else, avoidance is exactly what it sounds like. Maybe your caretaker was avoidant themselves. And so you sort of developed as a way to tolerate that your own avoidance attachment. Mm So, you know, not wanting to need and sort of trying to look the other way from those needs. Disorganized is sort of a hybrid where there's a lot of need and, and desire, but like a strong reaction to that. Am I missing? I said secure, avoidant and anxious. Disorganized. Anxious. Uh, <laughs> anxious. <laughs> so yeah, the desire, I think of disorganized and anxious is somewhat similar, but anxious is like, mm. I think Buck, I've heard you say golden retriever energy, you know, that like mm-hmm. constant, like here, here's my ball, here's my ball. Please love me. So, <laughs> the idea we talk a lot about that those are early childhood experiences and family origin attachment styles. But we also talk about our society at large as being very insecurely attached. There's, you know, mm. everywhere you look, there's some kind of need not going mad, or I mean, it's just a dumpster fire that we're living through. And mm. so we have Val- these values of, are really backwards yeah, right now. Yeah.
1: Like, mm. mm-hmm
2: awful so we have like this, in term like,
1: when you say values kate like in terms of like emotional and relational values and kind of
0: yeah that kind just of like thing. you know what you guys were talking about before just this real you know hyper focus on wealth and mm. beauty and like don't get old don't you know that's not a value of ours <laughs> don't mm. have needs don't be in a population that doesn't have wealth or don't fall outside of this search. I mean, I would say it's like a capitalistic driven system that is about capital versus humanity. Like we're not really mm-hmm. taking care of our people and that kind of trickles into our own self image and our view of the world. And it's hard to combat that. It's like sneaky gets in there, right? Mm-hmm. All of a sudden you're like, I'm working, I'm working so hard and I'm obsessed with that. And you know, I'm just trying to pay the bills or I'm going to the gym and I'm doing all this stuff. And then it's like, but I'm not slowing down. I'm not Mm -hmm. being in my life and Mm -hmm. getting connected to my people or, or helping other people or, you know, seeing outside of myself. It's really, and I like, I'm telling on myself here too. Right. It's like, we're all kind of subject to that. So that attachment meaning like the value isn't, Let's get connected. Let's like really mm-hmm. see each other's humanity. It's like let's stay in our own lanes and do all mm-hmm. this driving to kind of achieve these goals that are supposed to make us happy. Supposed yeah. to make us feel fulfilled, mm-hmm.
1: right? And that's I'm thinking of a kind of this this meta idea. Well, you're you're both talking to to this, but our attachment. I'm just thinking of our attachment to our government. Mm -hmm. you know, right now, or our attachment Mm -hmm. to our political leaders and just how, and even capitalism itself. Mm -hmm. And thank goodness, like maybe it's Gen Z or the kids on TikTok. I mean, I'm on TikTok, even though I'm old, you know, but I love TikTok, but I see the, you know, like the younger generation talking about late stage capitalism and and really kind of pushing back.
0: Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it's Mm -hmm. great.
1: I'm like, oh, this is so good. And though, at the same time, it's like, it feels so anxiety provoking and, and, and chaotic yeah, and, immense.
0: and how do you how do you change that you can't really change that system but you can be in touch with your own attachment to it right yeah
1: yeah so right and, and that's really interesting just to be thinking about like we're or maybe we're not just talking about relationships with right. other people in our lives, but really kind of relationships with systems, with structures. And yes. it's, this is part of why I'm so, so eager to talk to you both about this, because you do speak to, to, to these aspects of it and really mm-hmm. get both way down into the, like the need, just kind of real core need, but then also like looking at this, the systemic and structural pieces, which obviously is, as queer people in our, our world, in our experience, that's so yeah. we, we can't Especially deny in that Texas right now. Oh you God. Know?
0: Yeah. I was thinking while you were talking the sort of meta versus the, like, what's the, what's the word for your own little life, right? That like the micro. having the micro, thank you. Vanessa and I, like our work is really, you can't really impact that huge societal stuff outside of just, you know, doing what you can to try to change policy or whatever. But what we can do, or we can't do that. We can't change the world in an instant. But having a secure attachment, which as Vanessa was explaining, was really just your earliest experience. How did you maintain proximity to your caregiver? Did Mm. you need to give them a lot of attention? Were they sometimes loving, sometimes scary in that disorganized attachment, were they just full of anxiety and that you had to kind of calm them or you had to be orbiting around them or give them lots of space, all those things. But what we do know is that with one solid, secure attachment in one's life, it can give you so much resiliency to combat these bigger forces, these bigger systems that can be extremely chaotic and scary right Mm. now. And that if, if one didn't get that secure attachment in their family of origin, which, you know, if you're a gay man, there's probably a very good chance that you do have some attachment wounds, right? That because society was influencing your caregivers and encouraging them to conform and have you conform or whatever it was, that if you can work on that repair of feeling safe and, and, figuring out what it means to be
1: mm. in a loving
0: and consistent and predictable relationship with another person maybe that's a therapist maybe that's a friend maybe that's your community that is so reparative but it's mm. so and and sneaky eating disorders will try to kind of give that solution for people right oh i'll tell you how uh. to emotionally reg- regulate i'll help you mm-hmm. to feel like it's not so overwhelming and chaotic but it's it's really a false Premise, right? It's like we're saying it's empty. It's mm-hmm. not going to really take you the dead end place of yeah,
1: the dead end, right? Yeah, like it. Uh, that's interesting to think of like the eating disorder is like this proxy for yeah. someone who's actually a person who can mm-hmm. actually care about you. Yeah, and this so so loving and consistent and predictable, and to have this. I appreciate what you're saying, Kate, about like this one. It just takes one experience of that mm-hmm. to begin to repair. And for, for, you know, if you're listening out there and you're really struggling with, you might be struggling with eating disorder, disordered eating or body image issues, or maybe none of those, but you are struggling with attachment or relationships that to know, like, it just takes one experience. You don't have to redo everything, you know, and you can't redo everything, but just one mm-hmm person there's a, a doctor richard I from years ago i don't even think he's alive he's a psychiatrist who worked a lot with gay men and gay men's identity and he said that you know the the key for any gay man would be recovering self-esteem that was you know really wounded and sort of these early attachment experiences often and that it just takes a loving like Someone else to love you, Mm -hmm. like you just have to experience someone else loving you and then you having an opportunity to love them and that that's Mm -hmm. so reparative. And I I feel like that's what you're, you're talking about Mm -hmm. at the core. And though that like this, these eating disorders that and and body image disorders or exercise issues that they come in and try to take the place of, of that.
2: Well, it's, uh, they're good at it for a long time. And there's Mm. also, You know, to be in a relationship with someone requires you to get messy and it's terrifying. And so if I can look over here and stay in this world of perfection and a formula, it's like I do this, there's output, I see the results and those are more satisfying in the moment versus like the long, you know, the long way of getting messy and, you know, the idea of just, it just takes one person to love you and for you to love them. I mean, I think, and we can talk about it in like a, that feels so good and there's something so nurturing about that, but it's also very scary for people. I mean, Hmm. if you have that poor attachment growing up, the idea of making yourself vulnerable to that, you know, over and over, I mean, it's just, it it can be really scary and it it has to go slowly and eating disorders offer this like fast track. I mean, Hmm. it's not real, but it's like, oh, well, I could just do this. I know what to expect and I'll get love, you know, air quotes again.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll get something that at least will maybe satisfy me for now. For now, yeah. Mm -hmm. So one of the most downloaded episodes of Gayman's Life Lab is being a messy and vulnerable gay man. That's the title, which was Uh a solo episode of me. So (laughs) I'm just like talking. And my coach had challenged me, hey, just get on the podcast and talk. Like Mm -hmm. stop trying to figure it all out and write, write something perfect. And clearly people can relate to that. But like when Vanessa, you talk about getting messy or vulnerable, and I know maybe this is a little bit off of specifically about attachment in terms of the clinical definitions, Mm -hmm. but like, Mm -hmm. what does that mean? Like if someone was to is experimenting with vulnerability or messiness and relationships, Mm -hmm. trying to work on their relationship, like what might that look like Mm -hmm. if you're not being perfect are trying right. to be perfect in a relationship.
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, it's maybe a buzzword, but it's the authenticity piece that is so scary, you know, to be authentic, to show up in an authentic way and to to be in touch with what your needs are and to express those needs. Like that's, that's where the mess is. Then you don't mm. get a need met and then you have to tolerate that and maybe share with your person, like, hey, it really made me feel this way. That is, I mean, that's where the mess is. That's where the repair comes too. I mean, that's how we learn to tolerate the discomfort of being in relationships. But that's, it's terrifying to allow yourself to like actually get in there, get under the hood of the car, understand your own needs and be Mm -hmm. with someone else trying to get those needs met. Messiness
0: happens. Vanessa and I are both moms to like sort of young kids at this point, and there's a lot of messiness, <laughs> in parenting, right? And the the psychological term for it would be rupture and repair, right? Mm. That there's going to be a rupture thing, and and in terms of like messiness for outside of the parenting realm a messy therapy session, like I'll come into Vanessa's office sometimes after, you know, my client got so pissed off at me, was mm. so mad at me. And I'm, t- you know, I'm holding it and I'm like, oh man, I feel so bad about this rupture. I feel like, oh, I did let this person down. Yeah. Mm. I, I said that I was going to do that thing and I forgot to do that thing or whatever it is. That's messy, right? It feels bad. Like it feels Mm. uncomfortable to be angry at each other or intensely sad about something that the other person did or, or bored with the other person or disconnected Mm. or, you know, whatever it is, the repair is okay. Let's tolerate that. You're pissed off at me and I'm going to model for you like as the therapist in the, in this scenario. Yeah. I think, I think you're right. I think you're, I think that makes sense that Mm. you're mad about that. Yeah, that's that hurt. I really yeah. I hurt you in that. And being able to fully see the other person and for that person to see that in, in a relationship in an attachment, it isn't perfect, right? Like you're two different people, you're, there are misattunements, there are disruptions, and what we can do, and which is actually enriching to the relationship is to see each other through that, to hear each other, mm. to communicate about it, get to the other side of it. And if you get to the repair, if you get to the other side of it, you do feel more connected to this person. Wow, you let me be mad at you. Mm. And, and you weren't scary and you didn't shut me down and you didn't shame me. And, you know, that's very reparative. And that's in line with all the like repairing a wounded attachment, right? Is like that really messy experience. We would love to just have therapy be like which is like a love fest where we're always like feeling close to our client or whatever. Mm -hmm. But but that's or close to our therapist, you know, for yeah for clients to our therapist. Mm Right. Uh Uh-huh. And if you can tolerate that and talk about it, it's just like such a huge push toward feeling secure in the world, feeling Mm. like you're allowed to be to have all kinds of feelings and talk about it and be understood.
1: Yeah, that's, you know, I'm a big one on like practicality, you know, and when we're here on the podcast and Mm -hmm. so like something people can take home and take away. And so for Mm -hmm. folks and, you know, a lot of people listening are, you know, have gone to therapy or who go to or go to therapy or Mm -hmm. who are considering it that like that's a move you can make, which then I guess the idea is that that slowly would edge out the function of the eating disorder the exercise right, issue because
0: it, let's take it even as hey i was really pissed off after our last session and i went home and i told myself i'm not eating anything for the rest of the day hmm. i'm not going to eat anything and that's how i managed those feelings toward you is i just disconnected or i went home and i binged like crazy and just totally zoned out and I always do that when I'm mad at somebody, like Mm. I never talk about it or I never bring it up. I never put words to it in the moment. And that's, that is how disordered eating or eating disorders really, they do medicate those wounds, right. In the short term, but you don't get the connection because you're connected to this illness, you know, Mm like this. mm
2: -hmm. I think just to further that conversation too, there's this neat, there's the new part though. And I think that that in terms of practicality is also sort of a challenge to try to face is like getting in touch with what the need is Mm. so that there can be a conversation about what's missing. And in terms of food, it's so connected, like hunger. I mean, that's a need. So, Mm. so often we're dismissing our needs because it's cleaner and it's easier and safer and so Trying to like self-reflect on what is it I'm needing in this moment? Do I need someone to just know that I was pissed, or you know, do, am I hungry even? Like, what are my needs?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, what are my needs? Yeah, and I I've shared this before, but my therapist when he told me because I was like, ugh, needs like I don't mm-hmm. I don't want to need. Cause I mean, I'll call myself out. I'm, I'm not crazy about needing people all the time. Sometimes it's, it's good, but other times like, or I like to need a need when it's like in like, you know, control looks mm-hmm. pretty, you know, but he said, needy people get shit. Mm-hmm. And he was like, Buck, needy people get shit, you yeah. know, and I'm like, so I have always shared that with people. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, so it's like, what is that Excuse need? Well, right. Yeah. And that's, and I certainly know for like, for gay and queer people, you're really having to overcome a lot Absolutely. of, uh, I'm going to speak up and I'm right. going to be actually, more visible.
2: And, right.
1: Yeah. 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 Which was not, that's the, I've spent my entire life, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: trying to not be visible and trying right. to hide, you know, this one part of myself. Mm-hmm. But of course we know that like, I have to hide all of myself. So right. that process of beginning to, mm-hmm. I mean, I know for a lot of men just beginning to identify feelings because we're just yeah. so socialized to not be okay with mm-hmm. feelings. But then to begin like, oh, I have a need and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you know. I'm going to raise my hand and mm-hmm. say, hey, I think I might want something or need something. Like that's, I mean, you have to face a lot yeah. of shit
2: to, yeah. scary. to
1: do yeah. that. It is scary. And
0: maybe it was adaptive as a child, mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. like maybe you you needed to be in isolation at times to keep yourself safe. Right. Mm-hmm. And not have needs. And that was something that served you at that point. And now is it serving you or is it safe enough to maybe peek out and take up more space and be more, you know, one's true self, their mm. full self. And then can you, yeah. can
1: you peek out? <laughs> I like that. Mm-hmm. Like take a little, mm-hmm. take a little risk. See if you Dip your foot mm-hmm. in the pool. So, you know, as we're talking about this and thinking about like different attachment styles, you mentioned, you know, there's, there's the secure attachment and which within secure attachment, like the idea is that you can be, you can have needs, you can have feelings, you can, can you mention, you can have these ruptures and then there's repair, there's room for all that.
0: Yeah, you Uh, you can explore, you can take risks, and you know, you mm. can come back to your safe object, like when they were, you know, doing these studies of infants, that's where that those attachment styles were kind of identified.
1: So we have that and we know that there are, that's the gold standard. And I always joke, like, I don't know a lot of securely (laughs) attached people, you know, who come into the world securely attached. I mean, apparently, it's like 60%. (laughs) well right exactly who who could be securely attached but but i mean good for them you know whoever they are but the (laughs) idea but are there (laughs) truly are there different approaches like say someone is like insecurely or like anxious like Mm -hmm. i'm I'm anxiously attached or have anxious attachment whatever you want to say are they more prone to like certain kinds of disordered eating or exercise Mm -hmm. issues versus someone who's like you know avoidant?
2: Yeah, I think the symbolism with food goes pretty far. So like someone who's avoidant has an avoidant style. There's, yes, an argument to be made that they might engage in more restriction. They avoid food, like they avoid people and they avoid their feelings. They use the absence of food to soothe. And, you know, I think they're especially disorganized. I think about someone who might be um, engaging in like binging and purging or overuse of exercise, like there might be moments of restriction or overusing exercise to numb out, but then that can only be tolerated so long. And there's like that undoing and, you know, kind of explosion of needs and feeling out of control. Mm. Um, and someone who, you know, might be more anxiously attached might always sort of be in that place of feeling out of control with their emotions and out of control with food. and So maybe more binging.
1: Mm-hmm. Interesting. But
0: it's wide. It's yes. like, you know, I don't think there's any hard and fast rules no. to it because you might be anxious, anxiously attached and part of what numbs out your anxiety is to avoid food or you might be avoidantly attached and binging mm-hmm. because you are trying to meet that need, trying to fill yourself up with food where you can't in relationships. So that I think it's mm. always... Like Vanessa and I never say this one equals this one. Right. It's more like okay. what she was saying before, like identifying what is the, what is the need? What is coming? Is there an avoidance of a need or is there like, mm-hmm. how are we trying to get that met or, or push away from it? And mm-hmm. you can use food. Mm-hmm. That's why it's so, I think why it's so prominent is it's so applicable to emotional regulation. Like it's one of the ways that one of the first ways we are soothed is mm-hmm. through food, right? So it right,
1: it's so it's works. so like early, so young, yeah. mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so available.
0: Mm-hmm, yeah,
1: certainly I know I was using food, obviously, well before I knew like that I could use vodka or something yeah. like that. Yeah. like yeah. I could use yeah. donuts and Snickers mm-hmm. bars. Yep. So well, that's interesting. So, but this idea of so it's when you all are working with clients, and and I know you all do a lot of group specifically mm-hmm. group work and because obviously that's the one of the best ways to mm-hmm. help people in relationships yeah. and i'm i'm a big pro group therapy and you know even though i i also like don't like it being in it <laughs> but it's hard because it's hard yeah it's hard it's messy yeah. right yeah yeah it's mm-hmm. it's very very messy i mean vanessa and i are in a we're in like a, a professional Group together, and you know. I mean, I can speak for just yesterday. I was like, you know, we we were both sharing, you know, stuff, and yeah. I left feeling kind of messy and and shame uh-huh. and mad and you know all this stuff. And it's just like, Oh, I just know this is part of the.
2: Oh, I just went to group part of the deal,
1: <laughs> <laughs> right? Exactly. I just went to group, right? And but knowing that that's also very healing. You yeah. Know? So, but you all when you all work with your clients and and mm-hmm. whether it's in group therapy or just therapy in general. And then how often do folks know or have an awareness that like, Oh yeah, I think my food and exercise stuff is really tied to all this. Like does that happen like right out of the gate or, or does, or does that oh, take a lot of that. time? So much
2: convincing has to happen. Mm. I think I still have, I still work with folks who are resistant to the idea that there's a need that's not getting met and so they're turning to food or not or the absence of it to, to meet that mm. need. Like, I think there's a desire to stay focused on if I just, quote you know, I'm big into the air quotes today, fix the thing, like make my body look a certain way, then I'll feel better versus like, mm. no, my needs are going unmet and I have a hard time expressing that. I have a hard time tolerating that. You know, I think that there's a lot of just sitting with those ideas for quite some time and letting mm. someone actually you know, sort of have to believe that is the case because it's so much easier to just buy into this idea that if I just fix, you know, fix something, then it'll feel better.
1: Mm. If I just get the food right or get my right, calories yeah. right or get my yeah. exercise right. Or if
2: I'm the right yeah, number or, or weight on the mm. scale or mm-hmm. size, like then people will love me or I can, sh- I, there's so much of like, I can finally then have the life I want just mm. waiting to live. Mm. and versus, you know, allowing yourself to get messy and just live as it is start, you know, mm-hmm. you're doing it. <laughs> this is it.
1: Uh, yeah. That's good to know that it's, you don't have to believe it <laughs> right away. Yeah. The idea is you might be open, open to eventually yeah. there being a, a different way.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, I was just going to make the joke that I think Vanessa and I both really value humor in, in, our therapy practice. And usually the anxiously attached folks come in and are like, okay, what's wrong with me? What do I do? What is it like? Why is is this happening? Tell me what's, who am I? And then the more avoidant ones are like, nah, it's not a problem. I'm, Mm. you know, I'm just, (laughs) (laughs) that, that, those ones take more convincing of like, maybe you might be a little bit avoidant of looking at some of this or digging deeper Mm -hmm. that there's, You know, those things come out over time, like how your attachment style might be informing the way that you're living or interacting with folks and in therapy.
1: I'm glad you said that because, and nearly both of you have emphasized this idea of slowing down and taking time. So, you know, for folks listening to give yourself, give yourself some room, you know, and I, I know we all I want fast answers too. believe me. Vanessa mm-hmm. knows from just mm-hmm. some of our <laughs> work together, uh, I like quick, I want to move fast. And that's been one of the hardest things for me and self work is to slow down. But it's actually very relieving once you know, like, oh, I don't have to figure this out so quickly. Or that like working with Kate or Vanessa or one of the therapists in their, their practice, like they're not going to, like, you're not going to come in and, and start talking yeah. about like, oh, I have this relationship with food or exercise. And y'all aren't going to be like, okay, well, let's like get rid of that let's mm-hmm. change that. Uh-huh. Like, no, uh-huh. that's not how it works.
2: No, it's a, it's been a tool in someone's life for, I mean, like you, like we were talking about It's so early, it's so young to use food. Mm. And so it's going to take a ton of exploration as to how does, how does it serve this purpose? How does the eating disorder or disordered eating or whatever um serve a purpose? And how do I work to sort of slowly undo that or slowly get that need met a different way?
1: Well, yeah. And let's talk about that then. Like in terms of slowly getting a need met or slowly, maybe even challenging your eating disorder or disordered eating or exercise issue. What are some things someone can do? Like even today, like if someone's listening and it's, it's like, I think I want to try to do something today to work on this. Where does I, someone you know, start? I think
2: this is, this is like the low hanging fruit because it's something we eat deal with many, many, many times a day, but checking in with hunger fullness. I mean, and we're not dietitians, mm. but again, the symbolism with food and your, your hunger fullness cues and needs and your emotional needs. So just even in a moment, checking in with like, what am I actually feeling? or my actual desires to move my body? Like, do I want to exercise or am I doing this in a punishing way? Am I, you know, physically hungry? Am I ignoring that? What's going on? in terms of my body.
1: Hmm. I like that.
2: And if, if there is,
0: if, if it's early, early in one's work or thinking about their relationship with their body or with food, just noticing what, who, what is the voice that comes up or first, maybe when am I, when do I think I might be using food or avoiding food or over exercising? What, what are the triggers for that? Like what's coming up for me? Like as Vanessa's saying emotionally, and then what is that secondary voice in there saying? Is it saying, well, yeah, you got to do this. Like you do this every day. You need to get Mm. to the gym. Like that's, that's, I don't care if you're tired. Like get up and go. That's what Mm. we do, right? You're going to break the ritual. Or is that, can we try to inject a small amount of compassion, that compassionate caregiver voice that might say, you're really tired today. Yeah. You got up early and your body's just feeling like it needs rest. And even if you go to the gym, like that voice is so crucial, right? That you're starting to introduce a softer, kinder, gentler, more understanding part of yourself Mm. to maybe the disordered eating voice, like that there's some other internalized good object that maybe you can pull from. And if you didn't get that, could be good to talk to somebody about it and see if you can get it externally first, like with a therapist, Mm. you you need that. That's, that's, that's a lifeline to feeling valuable, good enough, inherently an important person in the world without Mm. doing anything, just being.
1: Mm. Gosh. Yeah. That's so important to hear. I mean, even, even related to what you were Saying Vanessa, like even understanding like your hunger fullness, like, yeah. oh, I'm hungry. <laughs> I need to eat. I mean, think about how yeah. you know, obviously how parents help children to eat. And like, it's mm-hmm. so, that's such a big part of basic, basic life, basic care. Um, mm-hmm. so Kate, you mentioned like therapy as a lifeline. And obviously we're talking about, and you all talk about relationships as the key. Mm-hmm. So how critical is it? That somebody has like an actual other person, whether that's a therapist or Mm -hmm. sponsor or coach or friend in order to begin really internalizing that message? Or is Mm -hmm. it that like, oh, I can just find that I can read books and listen to podcasts and find that, that compassionate, caring voice Mm -hmm. inside myself. Like, is that like, do, do you have to do it through relationship
2: yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: You yeah. can do both, but you need you need the connection. We're social creatures; like yeah. we just need that. We need to be understood and mirrored, mm-hmm. and it's hard, not and, and not just in parasocial relationships, like right. real relationship, real life.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and to be seen. You know, I think there's a, if you're just reading or listening, like that's great. And it's great to take in information, but we need to have it reflected back to us in a way, you know, that we're seeing we're enough, you know, you can mm-hmm. go to the gym or not go to the gym, but this person still cares about you and loves you and to actually feel that.
1: Mm. Yeah. And I just really want to emphasize that, you know, because there's a lot of those messages out there right now or like on Instagram and on social media and then just like the, the zeitgeist of, of like mm-hmm. me, I can do it all me all on oh. my own. And even when I'm, you know, I'm going to recover or address my yeah, food or exercise yeah. issues, just, just on my own. And so yeah. like, just really want to drive home that to, to find that mm-hmm. it's gotta be in another person. And yeah,
0: we need people. Okay, yes, so, mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it's it's so interesting because it's like that's where the distortion comes in, I guess. You mm-hmm. know, it's mm-hmm. that it's like we we know we need that, or at least on like some level we know we need it, but then we're scared of it, or we don't have it, and then we reach for these things to mm-hmm. to get it, and then those become kind of our. It's really hard to like break up yeah. with these behaviors and and. Mm-hmm start to and believe a human being.
0: But like we're like technology has mm. allowed us to kind of be, to kind of get convinced. Maybe we could just do it. Yeah. All yeah. ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: That's I a great point can,
0: though. Yeah.
2: yeah.
1: Yeah. It won't meet the need. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. always feel It'll...
2: a little empty, I think.
1: Mm hmm. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's not, it's a, it's a stand in. Yep. You know, it's a, it's a substitute. Yeah. Well, and this is super helpful and we're, we're kind of running up at time. And of course there's more, more we could talk about and you know, whether it's food or body, what message do you all want to leave with listeners?
2: I think that the mess, there's something about the mess that I keep thinking is so useful for folks to just remember that it, the mess is okay. Like however you show mm. up is totally fine. Like working towards believing that because that's a journey in and of itself. Like it's going to take a long time Mm -hmm. to believe that for any of us. Like that's we're taught culturally to not like what you see because we live in a consumerist culture and we are taught to try to change that. Like that's the way to feel better. And so just to start the process of trying to believe that it's okay. However you show up is totally fine and you're still loved and a part of something.
0: I would add to that. So beautiful you're, you're not alone in this feeling. If you're feeling an emptiness, I think societally many people are feeling that. I think Vanessa and I would both agree that our clients come in and talk about like, why can't I get it right? Like mm. everybody around me is getting it right and they figured it out. They've got it. And you know, by the, by the third person that day that said that to me, I'm like, no, no, It's not just you. It's everybody. Everybody's (laughs) feeling this. So to not get convinced by whatever it is, society, technology, like we're getting all these messages that like, we're the broken object or we're the one who can't figure it out. It's a a pretty broken system and everybody's feeling what you're feeling and Mm. go find them and Mm. get really connected in a real way.
1: I love that. I love that. I mean, I love hearing that myself. I mean, that just gives me, you know, I mean, you all know we're all, we're all therapists and therapists are just human, human beings, you know? So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's having the freedom and the invitation to show up and as, as ourselves and just with whatever's going on. Wow. I mean, how liberating. And then to know that doing so is pretty much, there's a guarantee that someone else is going to be like, oh yeah, I totally get it. I can relate. Maybe it's not exactly like me, but I totally get it. And like, yeah, those are such great and powerful and really healing take homes. So thank you for offering those Mm -hmm. to us. And, you know, those are doing both of those things. Are you're working on your relationships? Yeah. You are actively working on developing secure attachment. Well, Kate and Vanessa, this has been awesome.
2: Thank
1: you. Yeah, thank you. It's fun. So great. Yeah, it's, this is, yeah, it's, it's been, it's, I mean, these are really obviously very serious things we're talking about and really necessary. So, so thank you. And thank you for having kind of such loving presences for lack of a better word. I can feel that. And so I know listeners will, will feel that as well so you know everyone listening just check in with yourself see how see how you're feeling after listening to this conversation and and hearing what vanessa and kate have shared see if you can't take that in take in some of the things that they're offering and once again you can find kate and vanessa at their their group practice website calm counseling that is keep calm atx.com again of course that will be in the show notes and they're on socials. so go do your thing on socials and find them but uh thank you again and and thank you for the work you're doing and and for offering offering us your your expertise hopefully we'll get a chance to talk to you again
2: yeah thanks for having us thanks (laughs) bucks bye
1: Thanks for tuning in to Gayman's Life Lab. If you like this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or whichever service you use, because it helps other gay bi and queer men find us. And if you want more information, visit buckdotson.com or find me on Facebook and YouTube at Gayman's Life Lab. And remember that personal growth and creating the life, relationships, and work you want is a process. So take one step at a time, rest when you need it, be kind to yourself and others, and ask for help along the way. Thanks, and I'll see you next time.